Has the pandemic changed the way we hire, train, and onboard new staff? This week, we want to discuss some of the potential changes that we're seeing as we desperately try to fill a staff that needs help. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And it's no secret that there is a workforce shortage in the veterinary profession. And as we try to fill those vacancies and increase our capacity, are we sometimes overlooking the importance of onboarding and phase training? This week, we want to talk about some of the things you can do to better adapt and insert a new person into your clinic and some of the potential pitfalls to avoid. But before we get into that big conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, you know, I'm hearing a lot from my colleagues, from owners and managers around the clinic and associate veterinarians that as they are trying to hire people, which as we know is a tremendous challenge, that they fear that they're not doing a good job because they're so busy and overwhelmed with actually training those staff. Are you hearing similar types of sentiments amongst veterinary technicians? I no, because I don't think that they even have time to stop and think about it. Okay. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I think the, it feels almost crisis mode. And I w- am wondering if a good onboarding system was ever even part of the process and then now COVID on top of it. Right. And if you go back, uh, viewfinders, you know, this is something we used to call it phase training. And so we would like break down every week for the first 90 days and try to address different skills and and try to improve different, you know, attributes of an employee. And, and that was something that, you know, I think a lot of vets, you know, thought was more aspirational than actually, you know, implementable. But I can tell you it's important. And, and, you know, at the expense of kind of going over all of that, and trust me, I've written and lectured exhaustively, Becky, and you've you've participated in some of those lectures over the years with me. But, um, you know, I think you're right. I think that right now there's just so much busyness that we're kind of overlooking the importance of integrating into a team because that's not just the skills that they possess, but integration, integrating the personalities. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because I feel like everything in COVID times, which, you know, before we started, we were talking and I said, you know, now it's been two years. Like, I think there was sort of this like vacuum for a long time that was like, well, when COVID's over, we'll go back to this. When COVID's over, when COVID's over. And now it's sort of a thing that I think we need to work into our daily routine, into our daily SOPs, um, if we haven't already. And so I'm thinking, like, we had this not-so-great onboarding process before, and now in a time where we are less likely to want to work closely together, are, are probably breaking into smaller teams, what is this looking like for folks who are trying to get on board and to understand and learn the processes when we're really working, you know, with skeleton staff? Yeah, and I think it's never more important to do onboarding and integration and phase training than when you're busy and overwhelmed and stressed because that, you know, the worst thing you can do is bring in a capable, competent, caring, amazing individual into your team. And then they suddenly go, whoa, this place is stressville, right? I mean, so I think it's more important than ever for you to say, okay, we need to make sure that we bring this person in deliberately with intention and have a system behind it. 
Yeah, I mean, and that is in the best case scenario, let alone the worst case scenario. And so I guess what you and I are talking about today is sort of if you had an amazing onboarding process before COVID, what does it look like now? Number two, if you did not, can you please? And three, what do we? How do we use this um, process, and how is this process affecting the longevity of your team? Because a lot of times, what I've I've experienced as a, a technician on the floor and heard from my team members, less about oh this training process and more about oh I've got the new person shadowing me, it's slowing me down, I have to explain everything to them, and it becomes a frustration. And this individual doesn't feel like they're being compensated to onboard this person. And then there's like this underlying resentment toward an individual simply for being new on the team. Yeah, because it's more work, right? It just gave them an additional headache. And suddenly like, I can't even get through my day. And now you're asking me to do this with this new person. And I don't even know who this person is. So I'd like to take one step back. And I think this is why, you know, we always believed, at least at our clinics, in this sort of group hiring mentality. And that was, you know, everybody sort of had a vote. And obviously some people had more weight because, you know, maybe you're the the owner or the manager or the, you know, the medical director of a given clinic. But, you know, Becky, we really tried to involve everybody from the get-go. And that includes, do we need someone? And so I think that if you're out there right now and this this is kind of hitting you, you know, a little different post-pandemic, so to speak, what I would suggest is that you want to bring your team in at the very earliest decision-making time, right? So it's like, hey, guys, you guys see how busy we are. You guys see that we're working late. You guys see that we can't do this or that. Do we need to hire a new person? If so, what does that person look like? And we used to call this the desired attributes list. And so, you know, we would, for each position, there were certain attributes that we were looking for, whether it was experience or, or you know, education, credentials, whatever it might be, depending on the 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 position, Becky, you know, we started bringing in and saying, who, who are these people that we need that actually work well within our team? So I would encourage you right now, if you're looking to hire, and we all are, <laughs> is to yeah. step back and talk to your team and say, who would you hire if you could? Let's just sit down and start with those desired attributes. And I don't know if you've ever done anything like that, Becky, but it's a really important thought exercise that what I, the reason I like this is because I could take this to any manager, any team leader, and they knew kind of what we were looking for in a team member. And that way they were more likely to match up the correct person as opposed to just saying, hey, what do you think about this person? They already had a pretty good idea if this was the right person or not. I love the idea of making this a team, first of all, I think just feeling you like you have a say in what is going on under the roof of your clinic is so important. So yeah. I think what you just said, and I think that exercise in general is super important. Just like, because what if your team doesn't actually feel like they need another person, but they feel right. like there'd be a more efficient way that they could run on their own um, or a new way to try it in the meantime. So I think just brainstorming in general Getting the opinion of what these people look like, because what I will say is from my experience, which you'll find more oftentimes is what they don't look like. You know, um, this last person that you hired did this or the last person that left did this. Um, I've had experiences where I worked with this person and it was really difficult or whatever. So I think a lot of times you'll get not only what they are looking for, but what are the deal breakers? You know, so if this type of person comes on, I can't, I can't. Um, So I really love the autonomy of that. And I love including the team in general. The other thing I really like about that 
hey, hiring managers, um, listen to this part, is then it is not your fault entirely if it goes right. awry. Right. And I think what happens is when an individual comes on board that is not a fit, it, it ends up looking like someone's fault. Then, you know, you're mad at your office manager for not understanding better or knowing what the team needs or how could they possibly decide on this person or, you know, remember that last person they hired and how awful they were or whatever. So I think the blame game can pop up if um, we don't have a group decision. And so I think that there's a, a, a benefit to everyone in being able to have a say in the entire process. Oh, yeah. And it has to be a system. And the other thing, too, what I like about this part of the conversation is, do we bring somebody on or not? That's a really important thing to involve your team in, in my opinion. But I remember back in the early 2000s, we had a similar job market where it was the, you know, employees market. They could pick and choose. We couldn't fire hire enough people, you know, and you certainly didn't want to fire anybody uh, for fear of not being able to replace them. I mean, sounds a lot like today. But, yeah. but I remember telling vets, like, look, they're, they're the two knee-jerk reactions to a problem. So when people see a problem, they throw people at a problem or money at a problem. And I say you throw a process at a problem. And so I would really, I, I like what Becky said. It's like sometimes your staff doesn't actually want to add more people. They're like, we're just doing things wonky over here. So that's where yeah. the process comes in. And so I would really uh, critically evaluate that. Now, the second thing, Becky, let's say that, you know, we do determine we want to hire somebody. We need somebody. We figured out what we're looking for in that person and we hire them. Let's just go, go ahead and jump to that. And I know that's a big jump and a leap of faith for a lot of us because we're like, we can't fire, I mean, hire anybody. But the reality is, let's say you've got that person. I'll tell you, as Becky has already said once, I will reemphasize it. I've seen so many amazing individuals that would have been a great match in a team just totally go sideways because they weren't integrated effectively, accurately, correctly. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you pick your adjective there. But the reality, Becky, is you've got to now have a plan from day one you know, and I used to talk about this the first 90 days. I used to give all these lectures back in the day. And I don't know how many of these articles I've written, but, you know, Becky, I would say the most important thing to me was that very first day. And I used to say, look, the, the highest person possible, the owner, the owner and the manager need to be there early on that first day. And I think what I, I think one of the things that, that I discovered early in my career was I would sit down and meet with that person, even though I wasn't going to do the onboarding or all the, you know, the, the OSHA and all the, the paperwork and all that stuff. But I wanted to share my story of why I started these clinics and why I became a veterinarian. And this was a 10 or 15 minute little discussion. But, you know, Becky, I was trying to connect with them on a real personal level to say, look, you know, this is more than just a J-O-B. This is actually, you know, something really important. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on like that first day, those first few minutes <laughs> setting the tone for the rest of their you know, career with you? Yeah. I mean, okay. So let's walk through the nightmares I've heard or experienced. A, okay. showing up on your first day and no one knows who you are, that <laughs> oh, you're no. coming, that you work there, um, and that you need to be trained. So that- Yeah, I'm the I new one. I'm the new person. Hey. Hi, I work here now. Does anybody know who do I talk to? Literally has happened to me personally and I've a million times. Two- everyone comes on board with their own baggage, right? Like we're in a relationship, whether you like it or not. And, and there's so many definitions to relationships, but all types of relationships come with baggage. Sure. So what I can remember being a baby tech and, you know, interviewing at different places or working different internships. And, you know, I would go one place where they accused me of not jumping in to help 
And I was simply trying not to step on toes or didn't know what to do because I was brand new in school and didn't have tons of clinic experience. So then the next place that I went, I tried to jump in and help. And then you're accused of acting outside (laughs) of your bounds. And, you know, you need to wait until someone tells you. And so we're we're left guessing. There's no conference. As my therapist, you guys know I love to give you away my free therapy. Not my free therapy. I give it to you for free. (laughs) Is that expectations. In, right. in your interview, are you even asking, what would my first day look like? What is your onboarding process look like? What is your training process look like? This should be something we should be establishing what this will look like in our interview to understand if this is going to be a hospital that's going to onboard us in a way that we will feel comfortable, or is it should I expect to show up Monday and no one knows that I'm coming? So I, that, to me, is sort of foundational because when I think of the things that can go right, I think of the things that have gone wrong and how to make sure that that doesn't happen. And going all the way back to what you started with is if the whole team is not part of the process, then no one knows this person's coming on board. If everyone's had an opportunity to meet this person and they've all been part of deciding that they're going to be the one to be the new team member— Everyone's probably excited that they're coming and looking forward to seeing them, and they're going to get a warm welcome. And that is going to be a completely different feeling and sensation than, okay, no one, no, do I work here? (laughs) Right, right. Well, and I love this expectations, and this is what we always. This is what we strive to do. And this is why I think you have to have this in writing. And, and just to go back to your, your point of, hey, some clinics I jumped in and got in trouble. Some clinics I laid back and got in trouble. You know, for our first week, and again, this was all written down. Like you got this. In fact, we usually gave our books, all our training materials, and even our, our uniforms at least a week ahead of your first day. We asked for you to come in two weeks before to get your materials. But by one week, we wanted you to definitely have it in hand. So you could have kind of thumbed through it. You didn't know what it all was about. About, but you know, you kind of got an idea of oh, week one, week two, week three, and so forth. But Becky, we had this simple rule called the OLA rule, O L A. And the first week, and we were very clear from the get go, from your very first sit down, we we're going to say the first week is all about OLA, and that meant observe, listen, and assist when asked. So see, right there, we set the expectation for you to kind of lay back, learn how we do it. Uh, you know, and I've told the story a thousand times. We uh, were. We had brought on a new registered tech, and um, she, on her first couple of days there, she was, uh, some a dog needed a nail trim, and so she jumped in because we were busy, of course, and she was new there, and she was a CVT. She was like, hey, I can definitely do a nail trim. No problem. So uh, she's being she's being helped by one of our assistants, and the first nail, she quicks, okay? So, mm-hmm. and we had a no-quick rule, right? I mean, like, that was like, <laughs> Dr. Ward will yell at you. <laughs> and I wouldn't yell, but I would not be very happy. I really wanted to avoid quicking, if at all possible. So she quicks the first one. The assistant, you know, gets the styptic and, you know, takes care of it, right? Second nail, quicks it again. Now my assistant, you could just, it's whale eye time, right? <laughs> so so they're, they're doing it. Third nail, Becky, no joke, quicks the nail. Now, at this point, one of the other techs had stepped in, kind of saw something was going on, you know, because the dog's like, eh. You know, the yeah, typical. Yeah. So, so the third time the text, like, what the heck's going on? So she like steps in and she's like, hey, you know, you, you want me to help here? I mean, it seems like you're struggling with a nail trim, you CVT who just started here. And yeah. uh, she's like, um, she's like, um, oh, no, no, I'm fine. I'm, you know, and she's like, well, you know, we have a no quick rule here and I, I really appreciate you helping us out. But anyway, <laughs> Becky, the, the new tech responds like this. She goes, well, no, no, we always went down to the quick 
sick at my old clinic. That's how you know you got them short enough. And that was yeah. really, you know, and that was that that was where the Ola rules came from. <laughs> Does that make yeah. sense to you? Yeah, yeah. And look, no, no disrespect to this person. That's how she had been trained. And, and it's a terrible approach, if in my opinion. But, you know, she she wasn't meaning any harm. That's just what she thought we expected of her to do a nail trim. And so I would encourage you to set those boundaries early with new hires, no matter what. Because I will tell you, this that kind of soured that relationship. This tech didn't stick around. We, we didn't keep her very long because there were other things that were red flags and we just didn't, you know, didn't pick up yeah, on it early yeah. enough. But but regardless, you know, Becky, I love the expectations. I love having a written plan. And that's the other thing I really want to emphasize here, Becky, is too often people kind of just do on-the-job training that is really on-the-fly training and you ne- it's no consistency, you know, you can't reproduce it. I actually love that you brought up the nail trim issue because I, I, first of all, I hate clicking nails. And I think you <laughs> right. and I would have probably done well together if I ever worked for you because, um, but like she was doing such a good job in her head. She was right. like right. hitting it on point first time, every time, clicking that nail, <laughs> right. getting it done. Right. Like, so to her, she was like, oh, they're going to be so impressed. And so right. because expectations weren't discussed, she felt like she, it, it's like love languages, right? Like she thought she was doing great. You guys thought she was doing terrible. And then it's like, oh, wow, I thought I was doing great and you didn't appreciate any of it. Right. And now you feel right. unappreciated for this, it, it, what you feel like is excelling. But I like the idea that you bring up the nail trim because we're talking as simple as a nail trim. We're talking about SOPing everything, expectations, talking it through. Don't roll your eyes and say they should know. Why should they know? How should right. they know? What means they would know? And is whatever they know going to match what you want them to know? And and how could it? So something like you said, if you're sending this package home, like procedures, nail trim, anal glands, like if at the end of an anal gland expression, the expectation is that the hiney will be washed and sprayed with ear cleaner because we know that's what works, then, <laughs> you you know, that should be defined either written or the person training should run through all of those processes, check, check, and check, and make sure that, that it is reflected exactly how it is expected of the practice. And here's the thing, practice. You don't get to not have an expectation. You don't get to right. say like, oh, right. we don't care how you do it as long as you don't do it this way. Because the experience of we like what you're doing, but we don't like how you're doing it, but we can't tell you what we want you to change is traumatic. And so Good point. you really do have to know what you want the outcome to be and how you want to get from A to B. And if you don't, then you have a process deficiency. Yeah, and, and this is why we we called it phase training because we knew that yeah. we had to gradually immerse you in our way of doing things. And I remember early on, you know, uh, probably around 99, 2000 or so, when I started like sharing our books and all these massive, you know, 500 pages of documents for all the different team members. And one of them that I, I used to highlight in my lectures, Becky, would be like, okay, when we hire a new doctor, like, you know, there are all these, we go over the top 30 medical conditions that we see, you know, in our clinic, and we make sure that we kind of review our basic guidelines and protocols for that. And on it, I had feline conjunctivitis. And I remember vets going like, 
okay, seriously, Ernie, like you're going over like runny eyes in a kitten with a doctor. Don't you think that's a little, you know, condescending, demeaning? And I was like, no, it's making sure we're on the same page because look how you may treat a feline conjunctivitis case, case might be a little different than the way I think we should be treating it. So I wanted to make sure we're kind of on the same page, understood the medications, the diagnostics and so forth. So, and I think Becky, it's got to be that granular, right? Like people don't want to go down to that level, but if you do invest the time in making it to that level, then I'm telling you the rest is, is cakewalk from, from there on out. At least that was my experience. Well, yes, absolutely. And I think it it becomes a thing where we forget because things are so simple to us. It's so easy to us. So it's like everyone knows how to do a nail trim. Everyone knows how to treat conjunctivitis. But you're you're right. Uh, For example, you and I had a conversation the other day about a urinary tract infection in my dog. And I was like, hey, what about this antibiotic? And you were like, whoa, killer, slow down. What about this antibiotic? <laughs> and and I was like, well, I don't know. I just always have thrown this at it and it's been right. fine. And you're like, perfect. I understand. Let's try this one and preserve her gut health, which was important to me also, right? Like when we right. continued the conversation, we both found what was important to us was preserving gut health. And so it was easy for me to get on board with your idea because it, it reflected an importance to me. And that is the expectations conversation. That is the open-minded conversation conversation. But when we're talking about something as easy as a urinary tract infection in a senior dog, like, yes, let's talk about what that treatment looks like. And so I, I I also think this comes down to how we communicate, right? Because you absolutely can come off condescending explaining sure. how to treat conjunctivitis. But when this is part of the day one operation, when this is part of I walk in the door and every single thing that they expect me to do is laid out from start to finish, I expect you to turn the light on the microscope. I expect you to do the paperwork that you need to do. I expect you to log it in the fecal log next to the microscope. I expect you to clean the lens and I expect you to put the cover back on. You know, every single thing A to Z, then we don't get the I didn't know. Then we don't spend a lot of our time trying to band-aid issues and address them as they're popping up. Um, And again, going back to the employee experience, because that can be probably one of the most important things, is they're going to feel set up for success. And I think we get burnt, we get angry, we get frustrated when we feel like we are thrown into something, expected to lean into our skills, our knowledge and experience, and then told it's incorrect because there's a different expectation. Right, right. Okay, so I, I think viewfinders, we made a pretty compelling case on the importance of like didactical training, right? So skills assessment and then, you know, helping them, you know, improve where they need to learn what they don't know and have already and, you know, certainly uh, enhance what they do. But the other part of this, Becky, this onboarding integration process is getting the personalities to mesh. So maybe share a little bit of your experiences, advice on, okay, the the people, we got the skills part down now, guys, but what about just personality mesh? Matching. Yeah, I think that's a, another really big thing, right, is that a, a, in my experience, most of the time the hiring process looks like a million resumes, a bunch of people walking in and out, some maybe some um, working interviews, and then all of a sudden this new person pops up and you, you might or might not recognize them from your interview. Uh, most of the time, in my experience, office manager comes back, says, hey, this is the new gal. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> right? And then, you know, we know in our profession in general, we have a lot of introverted folks, as it is. We've got a lot of awkwardness in my experience. And maybe not the best 
not people who necessarily go out of their way to work with other people. <laughs> so right. now we right. have these teams, right? And I, I think to myself about like the, and we've talked about this, right? Clinics that are like no chit chat and, you know, time to lean is time to clean and yada, right. yada, right? Well, how are we learning about this new person? What do we know about this new person? Should we know about them personally? And how do we get through these first, like, however long of building trust? So on top of that with new people, and, and I would argue we're not even doing this with established teams, is like we leave it up to each other to sort of figure each other out instead of really examining strengths, learning each other's strengths, introducing each other's strengths, and working as it literally to make your team as strong as it possibly can be. You're kind of just like throwing people in a pit instead of building a pyramid. So yeah, I right. think that there really needs to be effort an, an active conscientious effort into literally team building. And I don't care how cliche it sounds. Cliches are, are cliches for a reason. Right, right. So again, viewfinders, I think, first of all, we made a case to say, look, team hiring, right? So everybody should meet that person, do a brief interview, working with alongside them, whatever it is that you can do. I really think that's ideal. Having said that, let's say a lot of you won't do that or can't do that or whatever. That's fine. The other thing too that we did on the other side of this that anybody can do is during those first couple of weeks, we had a, we were very serious about this, where you would go to lunch or take a break with two or three of the team members that you were working most closely with. And you'd have to do this over several days because different people had different shifts and days off and all that kind of yada yada. But you know, Becky, we really that was an important part of our integration process. And I think that if you're really looking at at, at amplifying your onboarding, you really should say, can we systematize us meeting each other? And I I look, this is the I I paid for those lunches. If they went wanted to go to lunch you know, downtown real quick, go for it. Because I think that's money well spent, you know, just go spend a, a 45 minutes off site or even if it was in the break room, you know, look, and that wasn't ideal, but that was sometimes how it had to work out. But I think you need to make sure that at the end of that first or second week, this is part of our face training, you had checked off all of the key members, you know, so maybe there's four or five, six people that you're going to be working with pretty closely. I mean, we didn't do this with the whole team, you know, because at, at the main clinic, we had 36 people or whatever. So yeah, but but Becky, you, you know, if you're a tech, there's like going to be six or eight people you're going to be working with most of the time. So we made sure at the end of that first or second week, you had signed off on your little face training sheet that you had met with, you know, had lunch, done whatever with those people. And I, I think that's a I think that's reasonable. I love that. I honestly love that. And I think about teams that I've worked with for years and years. Uh, Boehringer Tech Champions is a great example. Mm -hmm. We get together in a summit every year. I've been part of that team for, I don't even know, like five years or something now. We do an icebreaker every time. I know these folks. Like, they're my yeah. friends. We Some are colleagues. But we do an icebreaker every time. When I meet with my teams, I do an icebreaker every time. I know these folks. I've worked with them for a while. But we, we I want to know something new about you. I want to, you know, bring up something I haven't learned before. Um, it has to be a conscientious effort. Like, and there can be a little something every day that helps people learn about each other and know about each other. And again, I think it has to be a conscious effort within the clinic. And so sometimes when I think about management, and I've heard management say like, what more can I do? Um, I think a lot of times there are big things that we're missing, but I think there are tiny little things like this yeah. that we could do. And I just want to say, um, <laughs> I, love, I love that you're like, I paid for it. But like, that's important. You paid for lunch. You told them to go like, what a nice thing for those employees to know, like, hey, let's take the new girl to lunch. Like, I love that. 
Right. Well, Becky, you always bring it back. It's like, you know, these aren't the things that are going to break your budget, at, right? No. And if they do, then your your business is insolvent to begin with. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, so yep. you know, it's like, it's like 20 bucks, go, you know, yes. knock yourself out. This is awesome. Yes. And you want to encourage that. And viewfinders, the final thing that I want to leave you with today is during, I, I believe the first, you know, four weeks are just critical to a, a new person's success in your clinic. And, and you need to do with a manager, owner, whatever that looks like in your clinic, what we would call a weekly check-in. And that was literally just a, a five or 10 minute, well, 10 or 15 minute probably, little yeah. private, steal them away. Hey, how are things going? You know, yeah. And that new person just, again, somebody in authority or whatever, you know, somebody above you, your boss kind of thing, just pulling them aside and saying, hey, I just want to make sure, you know, is there anything else I can do to, to make it, you know, everything great here? Because, you know, we really like you or whatever. Or maybe you have to bring up a, an issue. I don't, I don't know. But I think it's very important to have those little check-ins once a week during those first four weeks. I found that to be highly effective. Yeah, because I feel like if you don't, you're going to hear it anyway. It'll just be right, in their exit right. interview. You <laughs> right, know, right. <laughs> like that's when right. it's all going to come out. And what, what we're trying I mean, the thing is, is that there is a, a huge shortage right now. And, and so people are like just desperate to hire someone just to get bodies on the floor. And I think what you and I, I think the, the foundation here is like, please don't do that. Just just anybody isn't the best plan. Throwing bodies on the floor is, is not a great <laughs> idea. Um that, you know, um, just anybody isn't better than nobody, okay? And when you have somebody great, please treat them great. And if they're already on your team, still treat them great and make sure they still have what they need. Make sure even if they've worked there a year, they've gotten the training they feel like they needed. Maybe they're like, hey, yeah, I've been here a year because because COVID has been so busy. I was never taught to use this piece of equipment. Um there are so many ways to be looking out for our teams for longevity and for happy workplaces. And um, part of it is, is just checking in. Part of it is having a great process. And then part of it is conscientiously working to build them. Gosh, I love that. So viewfinders, what are you doing to retain those new hires? What does your onboarding and integration process look like? Do you do phase training? Do you do check-ins or, or luncheons or whatever? But what do you do to make sure you're setting those new people up for success? Because I will tell you that retaining good, quality, capable, competent, compassionate individuals is really our top priority. We talk a lot about the shortage out there, but part of that shortage is being driven by us losing great people. So I want you to keep them. So what are you doing out there? What are you hearing out there? What are the tips and tricks you've learned that you'd like to share with your colleagues? We definitely want to hear from you. Yep. You can find us on social media at Veterinary Viewfinder and you can tweet at Dr. Ernie at Vet Viewfinder. Uh, you can email us if you want to. We've been getting more emails from you guys when I bring it up. So I think I'll do it at Veterinary Viewfinder at gmail.com. That's right, guys. You guys have a great week. Hopefully it is filled with wonderful new hires and successful onboarding. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.